and welcome to yet another Artbox D&D special. I'm your host, Jason. In this special, different from the usual, I talk to Cynthia Gate. We talk about NFTs, non-fungible tokens, what they are, who can benefit from NFTs, and why get involved with NFTs. First and foremost, some transparency here. Cynthia is my wife. Her career as a lawyer includes looking out for artists and other creators and will always be on the forefront of her mind. Cynthia has been on several panel discussions on this and similar topics in recent years. She was a co-host of a podcast called Art on the Blockchain with DJ Jay Skrilla. So here is a disclaimer. This interview is not an investment or legal advice and was made for entertainment purposes only. Please consult with professionals who may provide you with guidance based on your specific circumstances. So with that, sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview. Cynthia Gayton. I've been working in the arts industry as an attorney for over 20 years. Recently become interested in blockchain and art. And because of this renewed interest in NFTs, non-fungible tokens, I thought it would be useful to talk about how we got here, mostly because I want to prize artists as well as collectors and anyone who's interested in this art about how, how these things came about and what it what it means. Well, I'm married to the host of <laughs> Take what Two. Is there? What is there? <laughs> What's the name? Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Just because of that, I'm keeping this in the show. Uh, the host of I'm married to the host of Artbox. Artbox DMV. There you go. How many stickers do you have of Artbox DMV? At least twenty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Cynthia. I know this is very important to you. <laughs> well, I mean, it's important for, for me as well. I mean, I, I know what you're about to say and the questions. I know the questions I'm asking you because I wrote them down. And I know what you're going to say because we talk about this personally, you and I, uh, all the time, almost day, noon, and night, whenever we're almost in the same room. But, you know, uh, so I, I approached you and said, hey, honey, let's let's do some, uh, let's do a joint. Let's, you know team up let's collaborate on an episode on an issue on a special and uh and you you kind of were a little reluctant which i don't blame you i mean you're like i don't know know, what am i gonna say well a lot of it is because it's it's important what you do for artbox dmv is talk about the artists and yeah and you're interviewing artists about their practice and what they do which is is important, and it really doesn't overlap with this directly. So I was reluctant because I didn't want to distract from what I think is important that you're doing for artists who don't have sufficient exposure. Well, uh, yeah, but I, I feel that, uh, you know, since all of a sudden, you know, because we're going to go to explaining what NFTs are in a second, but it's just all of a sudden there's this huge explosion of this stuff. And there are traditional artists who are now getting into this realm. And there are other people who are uh, been in it for a long time. And also money is just getting thrown around like crazy in this, this, this realm. And so, you know, I, I think that it's definitely something that artists should be aware of. And I think that's something that artists should know about. And uh, they could imply 
this kind of stuff into their practice. So that's, that's why I kind of approached you about doing it. So let me go ahead and ask you this, since I know what it is, but let's, let's just pretend that, uh, <laughs> that there's someone who's lived underneath a rock and does not know what this is. What are NFTs and blockchain? Briefly, an NFT is the abbreviation for non-fungible token, and it is a digital asset. The entirety of this digital asset is a digital manifestation of, from my perspective, and there are different types of NFTs, but what has been drawing the most attention are NFTs related to art. And non-fungible indicates that no two tokens are identical. To be clear about, there's lots of buzz all over social media, well, I can copy the art. Yeah. And I can have digital art has the disadvantage of being easily reproduced. So this, in some respects, was a way to create rarity, non-fungible, indicating that no two tokens are identical. And even though the art might be identical, the digital art might be identical, there are some things that are in the token itself in terms of functionality. There are unique characteristics. There are unique transactions related to the token itself, which is the digital asset to which the art is attached that make it a new asset type. So it's something that's entirely, for the most part, online. There are some physical pieces that are represented by these tokens. And so there are many different ways of looking at NFTs. So I don't want to put guardrails around when it, what NFTs are overall because they're different flavors, but that is kind of the general description of an NFT. And that also fits within kind of that definition with blockchain. So blockchain is how do you keep track of the transactions. Right. So blockchain is closely identified with Bitcoin, which is a digital currency. And the transactions related to Bitcoin are distributed ledger. So a distributed ledger is uh, related to the idea of decentralization so that there's no one organization, human being, country, that is in control of the transactions on the ledger. So blockchain is a form of distributed ledger. It's a decentralized distributed ledger that is not controlled by any person, country, or organization. So the relationship between blockchain and NFTs is how do you keep track of cryptocurrency transactions, including NFTs that are created and the transaction is on these digital ledgers. That's what the relationship is. Okay. NFTs are predominantly on the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, the token type is a particular protocol. I'll start with the basic one is ERC-20s, which is the oldest protocol related to tokens and are most commonly reflected in the NFT art community. That's pretty deep. Well, I mean, it's for the fact that, uh, you know, if you're someone who's new to that and you're just hearing, dropping on that lingo, it, you know, you could feel a little overwhelmed. But, you know, it's really at the end of the day, it's just a digital programmable contract that's online, if I had to sum it up, right? 
I mean, for blockchain. And NFTs are just basically a special token. Well, NFTs would be, if you're going to talk about what's programmable, NFTs can be programmable. And oh, how okay. you program NFTs are generally with what are called smart contracts, which many people think is the wrong terminology for what, what this is. What, yeah. But they are coding scripts that indicate the nature of a transaction, and it is recorded generally on a public blockchain where everybody can see the buying and selling or the transactions related to a particular token. So with that being said, now we got our definition out there. What is the same and different from uh, traditional art and NFT art? Things that are similar are related to what is art and how art is bought and sold right now. Uh, traditional art, digital art, all of these things have existed for a very long time. So the similarities are that there are usually human creators who create the, the works. They're faced with similar challenges. How do you keep people from copying your work? How do you keep people from infringing on your work? Uh, how do you sell your work? So those are some similarities, sales, protecting your rights, and preventing um, piracy. The difference from my perspective from traditional art is in some respects the opportunity for the creator of the art to have more control over how their work is sold or made otherwise made available. In traditional art, there are usually in this, at the beginning, was very much a part of the conversation was eliminating the middleman. Uh, you don't need people or other people or third parties to sell your work. Unfortunately, it changed a little bit because not everybody is interested, which would be true in traditional art. Not everybody is interested in managing the rights or managing the sale of their work. So middle people are there to provide service to artists that would not want to spend every day, all day, trying to keep track of uh, buying and selling their work and making sure that it is in compliance with whatever blockchain they want to use to sell their work. So there has been an introduction of middle people in the form of platforms that sell NFTs or other crypto art. And there have are galleries that do show digital work as they're have been, yep, and that's similar to traditional work and NFTs. There are several online galleries in which artists can participate. So there, there is a lot of overlap. I think anyone who's in the traditional art world will recognize a lot of features. It's not so much how art is viewed. The thing that makes it different is how it is used. So it's, there's one thing to look at the art, Okay. And then there's another way to use the tokens. And so I think that's the kind of extra element of NFTs and crypto art generally, NFTs in particular, that varies from traditional art. Ah, okay. Well. An example would be for, <laughs> for, NF, for NFTs. Expand, please. Yes. For NFTs, you can use some NFTs or crypto art in games. And that was one thing that you 
if you're a traditional, we have, have a painting, a physical object, it's not necessarily part of, of a game. Right. Uh, but you, because it's programmable art in a way, you can, it can be designed so that it, this particular token can be used in a game. So there's actually many game gaming platforms out there that are becoming more and more open for mm-hmm. people to use. And if you're in the gaming field or if you're in, interested in gaming, yeah. you'll see a lot of uh, similarities. And it creates an element of collectability of some of the characters or the art related to the characters in these games that would not be part of what would be considered a traditional art form. Ah, I see. Who can benefit from uh, NFTs backslash uh, blockchain? Um, what do you mean who? Well, you know, uh, who would benefit from that? Would it be uh, gallerists, uh, collectors? Would it be artists? Who would benefit from NFTs? If you are an artist, for example, who is interested in diversifying your income, I think you would be interested in NFTs because most NFTs are traded for cryptocurrency. I would imagine if I were going to identify the perfect person for this kind of, for NFT, it would be a person who does physical art, mm. hybrid artist, okay. has a physical work, has NFTs, has, and is licensing, is used to licensing work. To me, is the ideal candidate, artist candidate for something like this, where you're uh, want to diversify your sources of income. Okay, okay. And anyone else you think would benefit? There was uh, one of the theories involving NFTs or crypto art was how do you use it as a way to track provenance? And uh, that, because, of course, we were talking about a distributed ledger and it's decentralized and you can find out where the art is or where you know where it has been, uh, it was a way of of tracking that. So folks who are collectors who are interested in finding out where their art has been yeah. <laughs> or where the token has been mm-hmm. might be interested in looking back into the ledger to see or into the blockchain to see where their, their piece has been. And that has some value. Provenance has, has been a challenge in traditional art. Well, like I said, there are lots of things that are that are similar. Yeah. However, it doesn't preclude anyone who is a collector from investigating the artist. If you are a collector, and since most of the people who are involved with this industry right now are living, it would be in your interest to make sure and talk to the artist about whatever it is that you're getting ready to buy. From that particular artist. Right. Or artisans or a collective or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, never hurts. I'm sure most of these artists don't mind if you reach out to them. It's like, hey, uh, I'm looking at this piece here. Uh, did you make it? <laughs> They'll well, probably be like, uh, yeah, or like, yes. Well, that was one of the interesting, you know, conversations that I have with artists about this was they were, they really wanted to reach out to their collectors. Yeah. They want to develop relationships. And, and this is a, another thing that's similar to traditional art. Uh, artists want to build most of them want to build yeah, relationships. There's some, most of them, yeah. There's some with who, their collectors. Yeah. Maybe not, you know, they live in your house or anything like that, but you want to be able to develop a relationship. And this is an opportunity to do that while everyone is still, you know, living. Yeah. There's a lot of value in that. And artists being able to articulate what their expectations are 
uh, is another thing that is advantageous. And the other thing with regard to the programmable art that I think hasn't necessarily been developed as much as it could be, because of course we want standardization. This is not the kind of project you want to get involved with if you want certainty and consistency and identical uh, relationships. It's, it isn't there yet. But there's also an upside to that. If you can control um, how your art is made available and control certain things about your art in relation to a collector, mm -hmm. uh, giving them certain rights to do things, there's that opportunity. Nobody's going to be potentially is going to be presented with a boilerplate agreement or boilerplate terms that everybody has to agree to. That is the power in some respects. The power of this is that you could potentially have a bespoke relationship with every person who wants to buy your art. Not everybody wants to do that. That's why you have middle people. But there are artists who are completely capable of entering into agreements with their collectors yeah. that are specific to their understanding. Mm -hmm. Where do galleries fit into all of this crazy of NTF world? Well, for galleries and NFTs, the advantage for for them is something that has come up more frequently than at the beginning. You could perhaps identify, uh, when I first got into this, maybe l less than 50 artists who were involved with this. Yeah, And so they all had similar things because it was drawing attention to certain aspects of cryptocurrencies. There were similarities in theme. Now, there are so many things that NFTs represent. There are memes. There are animated. There are... Just works. Right. I mean, it's just, just the, the, the scope and the range right. is, is so broad. Yeah. But if you're brand new to the space, it might be helpful if you, if, for example, with a gallery that concentrates on particular things or is okay. emphasizing particular aspects of digital art, or there's a place for curation. Now, that was one of the things at the beginning folks were very concerned about is gatekeeping. Yeah. And, and traditional artists will be very familiar with this. Oh, yes. The thing that's a little bit different is that this is new enough that if you want to be the gatekeeper, not that everybody <laughs> wants to be that, but it's it, I find DJs, as an example, invaluable. Hmm. There are certain galleries that I go to knowing that the curator is going to be introducing something that I'm interested in because I trust the gallerist. I trust the DJs and not all DJs, just the ones I like. So there are ways <laughs> yeah. to, um, there's a place for gallerists. They are, uh, and especially in this kind of environment, it's not, you're not moving around physical objects. You can, you could potentially have a new show every day. <laughs> if you want if to. you want to yeah and that is that flexibility where you're not having to ship things around and it could even be an opportunity to see what people like if certain people like a particular kind of work maybe there's a physical manifestation of it maybe you will want to have a show with screens that are interactive or something in your space. Yeah. If you're able to test who your audience is or test who's interested in particular artists virtually, it might inform how you design your space, your gallery space in reality, in real life. So I don't know. I, th I think it opens up a lot of opportunities and folks like myself go to galleries 
whenever I have an opportunity, I like looking at different types of art. I definitely have a taste. Uh, um, yes, you do. But, I'm not going to deny that. But um, it does open up some opportunities for people who are interested in particular artists, interested in particular works, want to see the direction of things. It is a diversion away from what people would consider fine art, in my my opinion, because it's more reflective of what artists are thinking about now. Um, all right. Why do it? Why does it matter? Why get involved with NFTs? Why? It's kind of like, why do people get pet rocks? I mean, in a way, <sighs> it is an experience. It is something that people are all talking about. It's so rare that such a broad, a huge number of people are talking about this subject. And, you, and most people want to be part of something that they think is new or something that they perceive as new, or something that appears to be exciting. If you want to get involved, the risk is minimal, so long as you know that you are engaging in a risky activity. Uh, there, are, there are risks. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, and that would be the case if you were just doing traditional work. Yep. You don't know if your stuff's going to sell. Or someone's going to steal it. Right, or you don't know, the gallery might not pick it up. I mean, all these kinds of things... The anxiety related to that artists have related to their work are not necessarily diminished. In in some respects, it might be heightened because it is so public. Uh, I wouldn't call but, it anxiety as much as inspiration. Okay, you can call uh, it that. Uh, thanks, honey. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, it, as you were saying though, it's you just kind of knowing the risk involved, and that's why get involved with it. If, as long as you know what they are, it, it's like if you know. The risk getting into a swimming pool, you know, you're still going to go and go swim, but as long as you know the risk. So that to me is, is you know, why, why get involved? As long as you know the risk, get involved is what my opinion on that is. If you're an artist and you want to see what options are out there. Yeah. And you recognize the, the things that you already know are risky about being an artist, not getting paid. <laughs> yeah. Stuff being stolen. Right. You know those things. Uh, so there won't, I'd, in terms of what extra mm -hmm. there is related to NFTs versus any other kind of art, I don't think there's anything extra because the problems are similar that you're going to face. So how can NFTs, and I'm even going to say a backslash here, how can NFTs and blockchain transform art? Well, uh, I think the most transformative thing about NFTs and blockchain is how do you approach the art industry? Yeah. So it can transform it in a way because your expectations are going to be different. And the culture of folks who are doing this right now mm -hmm. is different. I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily be able to give percentages, but a large percentage are digital native and they aren't necessarily trained oil painters in the style of Rembrandt, this is probably more reflective of the art culture right now than it probably 20 years ago. While there's a lot of duplication and there will be many people who will comment about that, is that some people are just taking somebody else's idea, taking somebody else's concept, taking other, you know, a Rembrandt painting and, and creating an NFT out of it. There is a lot of that. Yeah, there is. But there are many people who were very much experimenting 
with the technology, digital works generally, experimenting with how tokens can be used. There are many curious people and thoughtful people who know exactly what they're doing and how this could impact the art industry and are generally forward thinking. Yeah. And I think, in, in my opinion, this is an environment that encourages you to be a forward thinker hmm. if you want to be a forward thinker. It's yeah. the, the technology is not stopping you from, no. from doing that. <laughs> no, it's not. So if you decide that you want to just reproduce Rembrandt's, there are people who will, do, who will buy that. Well, yeah, there, there's practically a market for just about anything, legal right. and illegal. So. Right. So this is, you know, if you're an experimenter and you want to see how things move, the longevity, the there's a definitely an ephemeral character to this type of, to this particular uh, kind of crypto art. Huh. And you have to be comfortable with that. If you're if you're not comfortable with change, if you're not comfortable with unpredictability, and I don't know very many artists who are have not forced themselves to become comfortable with those things. Um, but I'm sure they're out there. Yeah, there might be out there. Yeah. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're used they're to having there. a, you show your stuff shown in a gallery, if you're used to these things, you're expecting a certain response. This will be very hard for you to become a part of, but there are communities within this, this industry of various flavors. There are folks who are very much do it yourself figure it out yourself. There are folks who are willing to help and can lend a hand. But to me, there, it's really limitless what you can do with this technology. The restraints have nothing to do with the imagination of the artist. So this question kind of is almost the same as the previous one, because I like repetitiveness. <laughs> How should artists think of blockchain? An artist might be interested in blockchain if they're trying to keep track of where their tokens are. That doesn't impact their art, though. Right. That That's just why I asked specifically about blockchain. Right. So you, if you're interested, and this goes back and forth, I mean, I've been uh, working with artists for a long time, and some of them do not, are not interested in the business side of things. They're not interested in tracking their rights. They're not right. interested in licensing. They want to be able to offload that to somebody else. Uh, but if you are a control freak and you need to know all these things, you can build up a business model for yourself, tailored for yourself, to have a handle on your work that is out in digital form yeah. using NFTs. Well, this just came to thought. I would say that if I was an artist and I needed to write a grant, would you think blockchain would help me with the grant writing process? Well... The only th way I can think of it being helpful in writing a grant if, is if you were designing a smart contract and your art is an expression of the smart contract. You could get a grant yeah. that would, where you can put together or have somebody create a smart contract or you do it yourself. And it is somehow interactive with blockchain and there's art that comes out from that. And there are, there are some artists who do that. How can NFTs help or hurt artists? Biggest way that NFTs can hurt artists is when they have not read the terms of conditions of the platform from which they sell their their work that is a as a harm 
Yeah. If you are looking at the terms and conditions and what you see are these big sale numbers, you're leaving a couple of things on the table. You might be leaving licensing on the table that will help you in the future. If you are not clear about what it is that you're giving the purchaser the right to do, you are hurting yourself because, like I said, there is a tendency to have template or boilerplate language with regard to rights. A lot yeah. of people use Creative Commons licenses, which is fine as long as you understand what the Creative Commons license says. When the dollar value goes up, people tend to think that they have rights that were not in the agreement. So you hurt yourself by not being aware or educating yourself about how your tokens are being sold and the conditions that the purchaser can use uh, your work to do. So that's how you hurt yourself. Okay. And that would be the case with traditional work. This is So once again, it goes back to what you said earlier. Right. It's, it's different. The, the difference is, is that people are used to what's in traditional art agreements. They're not used to the language related to non-fungible tokens or digital art generally. You should read it. Make sure you understand it. They're the same thing with traditional art. So if you don't understand it, then have somebody explain it to you because they're bound to it. If the other side, the other side is bound to it too. They should be able to explain. And if they gave you the agreement, yeah. uh, they should be able to explain to you, you know, certain things that you don't understand. But know that uh, it's not necessarily their obligation to protect all of your rights. You have to know what your rights are. So uh, on the flip side of that, um, how can NFTs help or hurt collectors? When collectors don't know what they bought. Plain and simple. Yeah, they should know the terms and conditions of the use of their NFTs. And as opposed to physical work, you many people have a, an understanding because they bought physical work. I've bought physical work. Yes. But I can tell you that nobody has given me, in, in the with artists that I know, nobody's given me a, a document that says this is what you can and cannot do with this piece. Uh, Never. Never. Has <laughs> no. that happened? However, uh, there are some default understandings about physical work that it usually doesn't come into play. If you've bought a piece that you're putting on your wall, you're not thinking about, oh, I really need to license that. <laughs> oh, I'd really like to make prints of that and make T-shirts or buttons out of out of that that art. Right. But you also know, at least maybe not directly, but you know that there might be a problem with that. There might be a copyright problem yeah. when you're looking at physical work. For whatever reason, people think that if it's digital, that the rights don't apply. The same rights don't apply. Yes. And, and I'll make kind of a blanket statement about this. Unless there has been something otherwise indicated, you have a right to use the work in the way that it is intended. So if you bought a work and the terms and conditions said that you can have this interact with your phone, that's it. You yeah. don't have any other rights. If you haven't read it, then you can't suddenly say, well, nobody said I couldn't make a t-shirt out of it or nobody said I couldn't make a print. That's not how it works. The rights, for the most part, read the terms and conditions of whatever platform that you use to buy the art. And it will tell you, For I have to say, most of them that I've looked at have tell people what they can and cannot do with the, any art that they've purchased. Yeah. 
All right, let's let's go left field here for a second. These are some issues that uh, you and I talked about earlier that you think that need to be addressed. Let's quickly run through them. What is the right of first refusal? Well, this is a uh, something that I I've talked about on a couple of occasions. When you think about what artists are trying to recover using NFTs uh, and using any crypto art form or format, and there's an interest in artists being able to benefit from the increase in value of their works. So if there are two perspectives on this, in the United States, in the basis being physical works, once a physical work has been sold, an artwork has been sold, the artist no longer has an interest in that piece. So it's called first sale doctrine with the exception of some visual art and is a carve out in the copyright laws and is uh, restricted to certain states, mostly, you can't demand that you get any percentage of future sales. It isn't under the copyright law. You have an interest in future works because you were the artist. Overseas, there's this, there are moral rights. And so, uh, countries that adhere to, uh, it's called the Berne Convention, where moral rights are part of the copyright laws, and each country also has their own moral rights laws related to copyright, as an example. Yeah. If there's a sale of the work, it doesn't mean that the artist has given up any interest in that work. They still have a moral interest in that work that doesn't go away. In fact, I don't think you can by contract, give give that up. Hmm. What a lot of folks were interested in with NF, NFTs is uh, the artists getting commission from future sales. Because copyright doesn't do that, and copyright is related to royalties, you would have you would be entitled to being paid um, under under copyright laws for licensing, as an example. Yeah, that. They're trying to mimic something that doesn't exist by law by having smart contracts that, that allow uh, artists to get paid for subsequent sales in the form of, of commission. So the right of first refusal is, to me, a in-between point where artists could have as part of their agreement that before the first purchaser sells the token to someone else, that the artist has an opportunity to buy back that token. That way they can capture any interest in their particular work. They can capture any value of, of their work and keep it, you know, basically keep it for themselves. Yeah. The way this would usually work is that the artist would offer whatever the fair market value is for that piece. But that's a way for the artist to basically have get possession over their own work so that they can make money from the value, the increase in value in the future. So that's the right of first refusal. Okay. If the artist, the way it would normally work, and you know, I can't say for every jurisdiction, the way it would normally work though is is uh if the artist can't afford the fair market value, let's say it's it's increased, you know, several times over and the artist and the artist can't afford to buy it back, then the person who purchased it would be free 
to sell it to the market at whatever you know they can they can make from that from that piece. So that's the right of first refusal that I think needs to be explored more because it gives more control to the artist to have some control over their future. So how does the first sale doctrine fit into this? Because you just mentioned it a moment ago. Okay, so the first sale doctrine would mean that once it got sold, the first sale, you wouldn't be able to buy law from copyright law. You wouldn't have a future interest. Okay. And so on right of first refusal is an in-between point. Oh. So if you don't want, if you want to still kind of respect, deal with the first sale doctrine, but you want to introduce a contract term that's that has nothing to do with copyright law, but you want to you want to give an advantage to the artist for something. You can have this right of first refusal that is not a copyright protection yeah. at all. It's entirely contract. So, uh, what copyright issues, if any, are there for NFTs? Well, copyright issues, as I've mentioned, are are similar to those that are faced by traditional artists, whether okay. there's infringement, illegal copying, and things like that. The unique situation for non-fungible tokens is that as a result of the decentralized nature of storage for the art itself, the images, the files can be seen by anyone. In some respects, a proliferation of the work that might be a little, might be frightening to artists and they should, that's another thing they need to be comfortable with is do you care? What, what are you, what are you, biggest concerns with regard to your art, uh, that nobody sees it? Yeah. Is it a concern to you that somebody can right-click on it and, and copy it into anything? Yeah. That is a legitimate concern. Well, yeah. I mean, mine is, I don't want to find out that my work is used as an image on a bus stop sign. Okay. So. In another country. That's that's what my, I mean, my toss and turn at night oh, bothering wow. you. That's, okay. that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. Well. That could be, you know, a lot of people's concerns. You you might yeah. not be alone with that. <laughs> okay. But, you know, so if you're concerned about piracy and you're concerned about people having your work and, you know, being real, somebody making a token using your work, those are all legitimate concerns. Yeah. And that goes to my feeling about when you know, folks are upset about how much money some people are making for their NFTs. Yeah. And for crypto art generally. And when you realize that, when you start knowing some of these artists and you realize how long it took for them to get to this point, how they trained, how they had to maybe give away their art for free just to get somebody to look at their works. Yeah. All the, the hours that they've done trying to prepare themselves for what it is that you end up seeing. Same thing with musicians. The NFT is reflective of many things. So many artists are... Uh, less likely to have regular jobs where they have health insurance. And they, at this point, if you know any artists uh, that are independent contractors or something like that, they don't have, or they didn't get um, unemployment benefits. Yeah, no. So how they're getting, the money that they're getting, while you may or may not believe that they, this particular uh, piece is worth the amount of money that the artists are getting, understand that if you're buying something from a an artist who has, done the work for years and put a lot of uh, energy or thought into what it is that they're doing, realize that this is, this is how they're getting paid. This is how they're making a living. Yeah. If you want to support an artist, because there's, there are folks who really, who are putting money into these things because they're interested in supporting the artist, mm -hmm. then that's, that's a completely legitimate 
use of your, your money. You may not find it valuable. You may not even like the work, but somebody else finds it valuable and somehow or another this is um, moves them, the purchaser sufficiently to, to buy the work. Uh, I wouldn't, don't get too upset about it because um, it could be very much a manifestation of years of work, years of interest in uh, being an artist, trying to make a living. And while there people will say there's fraud, there's all these other things going on. Yeah. Of course there are. There's no, this is not a pure industry by any means, but it's not any better or worse than the art industry as a whole. So yeah, so that's that's that. That's, yeah. That's, so, how long do you think all this crazy is going to last? I think, as anyone who and there are people who are better versed about this than than I am with regard to digital art, that uh, this is just a progression and a s- step into the future for for art. So, NFTs as a category of digital asset, there it could have a completely different name. Mm-hmm. Um, over the years when I was first introduced to this, there was a debate about this term. Yes. Does it really reflect what it is? There are lots of things in this particular area where the words are not sufficient to describe what, what these things are. So I think that there will be different manifestations of how digital art is used and our understanding about art is going to change because the people who are involved in this industry and are interacting with the art are going to redefine it. This is, to me, a big break between the past and the future with art mm-hmm. because it does, one of the you know phrases was democratizing art <laughs> and allowing you know, people to buy, buy these works inexpensively which I think is really out the window right now. It used to be the, that way. It used to be that way. Um, but it doesn't mean it can't, you know, next year. It could yeah. It could turn into something where um, you can buy pieces less expensively. The transaction costs related to uh, having the tr- transaction go forward in the first place is very expensive right now. And those things might become less expensive in some respects. And again, if you're not comfortable with volatility, uh, this may not be the the place for you, um, but I think there's no doubt that this is some form of this is will be around for for a while. It just may not be in this form because in you know four years we've gone to let's just record the transaction itself, yeah, <laughs> and into let's have it interact with blockchain. Let's have the right. art interact with blockchain. Let's have all these other other things. It's changed. In many ways, uh, just the functionality and the technology has changed, and certainly the popularity has gone up and down. I have no doubt that uh, a form of it, in terms of a building block toward future use of art, we're going to see a different iteration. It may not. I don't think it'll stay this way because you already hear yeah. uh, rumblings that people want some some something different. Oh, yeah. it's it, Those people who are, are in front of that bell curve. Yep. I'd like to say thank you to Cynthia for sitting down with me to talk about NFTs and blockchain. She's on Twitter at Squizzy. That's spelled S-Q-U-I-Z-Z-I. 
to hear past episodes of Artbox, head on over to the website at artboxdnv.com. And ArtboxDNV is also on Instagram at ArtboxDNV. Until next time, thank you for listening.